Yeah, got it. So now it's now it's recording. Great. Good, good um, to see you. Yeah, you too. Hello, doctor. Um, do I pronounce this cording? Yeah, cording is the German pronunciation, but all Americans call me cording. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Um, so if you could just give us a starter of your name, the university and the college you teach, and also like give us an explanation of your field. Um, well, I'm Conrad Carding. I'm professor at UPenn. I'm between bioengineering and neuroscience. I'm one of these super interdisciplinary people who's between a lot of departments and I collaborate with lots of people. And ultimately, I want to understand how brains work. And on the way to understand how brains work, I'm generally interested in how intelligence works. Wonderful. That sounds amazing. Um, so how long have you been a professor? Uh, I started in must be 2006. So I think I'm professor for 15 years now. Mm -hmm. I was first professor at Northwestern in Chicago for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then I joined uh, University of Pennsylvania about four to five years ago. I see. Wonderful. Um, so uh, just to start off, do you have any like outside hobbies or interests? Um, suddenly, I'm very much into salsa dancing. Uh, oh, wow. Together with my wife, we choreographed the University of Chicago team oh, wow. and, uh, and designed the choreography for them and trained everyone. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, uh, I like lifting weights and I like running <laughs> with my wife. That's wonderful. So diverse. I love that. All right. Um, sounds amazing. So uh, what led you into your field of study, let's say, and where do you think it's going to go in the future? Well, so so trying to understand how people think, I think this is something that like everyone shares. You know? Like if I asked you, what are the things like in the universe that you find interesting? I bet you how the human mind works is one of them. You know? Like we all have, when we look at ourselves, we have this like, uh, wow how did we just do that like like not like like we all have these moments or like why am i thinking like that or how did i just understand that uh, we have all those moments and so i think that this wanting to understand how we think i think this is just something that us humans all have in common and so 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 i think that that was the driver for me but otherwise also I'm a bridge builder. I like learning things and I like bringing the things that I learned into other domains. And now the brain is interesting in that regard. Now, if you want to understand the brains, it's about thinking and computing. So in a way it links to maybe computer science and mathematics statistics, but it also links to biology, you know, like, like all the neurotransmitters and how all the brain cells interact. So it has this link to biology and psychology on that side. And it's just this wonderful place where people from all ways of thinking meet one another. Right, that's wonderful. I love that explanation. Um, that's great. Uh, so could you just give us like a gist of like your educational pathway? Oh yes, I'm sorry, you already asked and I forgot. Um, <laughs> I originally studied physics, and then a few a few times in, I decided that 
I didn't want to do pure physics. It just didn't seem as exciting as merging it with biology. So I then started taking courses in molecular biology. I get into developmental neuroscience. And then when it was time to choose a diploma thesis, see in Germany, you study and as part of studying, you would usually at least back then spend about a year doing some research. So when it was time to, to choose that research, I had this wonderful idea on how to use differential equations to describe how a brain comes about, how it develops. And like, we, we start with this soup of cells and in the end we have the brain. How do we get from that soup of cells to the brain? It seemed like a great question and it seemed like it could use all these techniques that us physicists use. But the physicist basically told me, no, you can't do that. And so then I switched from where I started studying, Heidelberg in Germany, to Zurich, Switzerland, because the physicist in Switzerland said like, oh yeah, neuroscience is part of physics from our perspective. And so then I got my uh, diploma and PhD there, basically modeling brains and doing experiments. And uh, then I moved to London and I worked with uh, just uh, with uh, with Daniel Walpert on how people move their hands, things like that. And then I moved to MIT for and it's called a postdoc. Now you get a PhD and then you get a and then I get a postdoc in London and then I get another postdoc at MIT. And uh, I worked with Josh Tenbaum trying to understand how statistics and human thinking in a way fit together. Wonderful. I love the combination of your interests and like how you were able to shape that. Find something you really love. Um, that's yeah, I, great. I, so, I think that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and let's dive into your research really quick. So like you can go deep into this if you like. So. What questions are you answering in your research if there was anything conducted in the past, you're doing anything now or for the future? Um, any questions, any data or latest findings? That would be great. Uh, oh, well, uh, <laughs> I, can, I can talk for days about this, but, but let's maybe, maybe sketch what I view as the two main phases of my scientific life so far. In an earlier phase of my scientific life, what I was very much about is how can we predict human behaviors? And one really important thing about human behaviors is uncertainty. So we are not aware of that because we're so good at thinking about that. But if you, if you have your hand here and you look at me, you will be very uncertain where exactly your hand is. So, I, I did this whole range of experiments where I said, okay, how can we make it more or less uncertain about where your hands are and where your body is and how you're moving and where things are in the world? And how does the brain deal with this, kinds of, with this kind of uncertainty? I should mention, um, we just wrote a textbook about that. And the textbook is, is available for free under bayesianmodeling.com because we're currently looking for feedback from the entire world about how to make that book even better. But it's a, it's a very digestible textbook. And uh, for anyone interested in maybe cognitive science and how people behave, it's a, it should be a very readable book. So maybe maybe people that you know might be interested about it. And it's it's available for free review. So anyone can anyone can download the PDF and read it. So that's arguably the first part of, 
of my scientific life, I'm still doing things related to it. Right now, for example, I work with a wonderful postdoc to, to see if we can, if we, if we find reflections of this dealing with uncertainty in professional baseball players. And, uh, and, uh, and the other direction I think that I'm very committed to is I now want to understand learning in brains. And I always was interested in that. And there exists uh, parts of artificial intelligence that ask how artificial systems can learn. And I've done a lot of experiments on how humans can learn. And I'm very much interested in bringing what I learn about humans to artificial intelligence and vice versa. And that characterizes a good part of my current research portfolio. Mm-hmm. So is there a connection between behavioral neuroscience and AI? Like what is what are people doing? Uh, yes, it's a, it's a great question. So, uh, so the question is, so, so first, what are the problems of current AI? Current AI is really, really good at doing simple things that you have to do many, many things. Say, recognize, is this a hand? Yes or no? AI is wonderful. It's, it's, it's incredible at that. But when it comes to, here's, here's a really complex scene. Can you understand it? Can you figure out what you can do there? Uh, it's much worse. So I think the big things that AI can learn from artificial intelligence is how we deal with those more complicated problems. How do we recognize objects in the world? So, so, so it's, it's, it's weirdly much easier to say, oh, here's a hand, than to say, can you show me the hand? Or what is a hand? Or how would a hand look like in a different scene? Is this Conrad's hand? Or is this Dashani's hand? These kinds of things that like every kid could like trivially do in every scene is really, really difficult for AI systems at the moment. And I think by looking at cognitive science, we can at least get clues how we should think about and say what I'm currently interested in is, for example, object-based attention. Or like, how can I like, we all have this ability. It's, it's so obvious that we don't even talk or think about that, that you can look at my hand and you can just focus on my hand. It's just like, it's like only the hand existed at that moment. AI systems don't have anything like that. And I think we need to teach that to them if we want to build AI systems that are more useful. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, so does this require any sort of emotional intelligence or is to the point today, is that impossible? Um, I, th- I think emotional intelligence is, is super important if we want to build systems that interact with humans. So if I want to interact with you in a, in a positive way, I need to, in a way, have a model of, of who you are. And so in that sense, that is a major shortcoming of current systems. At the same time, for performance of AI systems in more open worlds, the lack of emotion is a real problem. So an AI system by default doesn't get bored by something. Which, a huge, which is a huge mistake because bottom protects us from stopping to explore things. Not like bottom moves us. It's, that's why we read new books. That's why we explore new scientific topics. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that there's something, if we want AI to be good in the kind of things that humans are good, we need to teach it emotions. If we want AI that is good at dealing with humans, we need it to understand human emotion. And I think that, that AI systems that we interact with need to understand more about humans. Let me give you an example. So uh, Google 
will recommend you news articles. TikTok recommends videos for you. Um, Netflix recommends the movies to us. We have all these recommender systems that are around us. What we currently do is we recommend to you what you're most likely to click on. But that is not what your friends would recommend to you. you know, like you, we all know this doom scrolling, you know, like we're on like, what do you know, Twitter or like, like some news page and we like look at article after article, help the world is ending. And it's not good for us. And it, it's because it's what we do immediately. In a way, it's different to what we do if we think about it. You know, if you're like, okay, let's sit down. Let's, let's think, what should we really read? Let's slow down. The answer that we give is different than if we did give the answer in the heat of the moment. I think that recommender systems should do the same thing. So TikTok shouldn't give you the video that you're most likely to look for a long time, which just might be something horrible. Mm -hmm. It should give you the video that you will remember the next day where you'll be like, wow, that video was awesome. I learned so much. I wish like I, I wish all videos would, would be like that. And so, so I think that we need to build an understanding of humans into our general systems, into our AI systems. And I think we will. I see. Um, that's great. I love that explanation. Um, to sum it up, since we're running out of time, is there any advice you would give to the younger generation who are willing to pursue the, uh, your field? Uh, yes, I, th I think what I recommend to everyone is choose to study topics that are complicated mm -hmm. because the brain is like a muscle. You, you do hard things, it gets stronger. And, uh, and so, so I think I've, I've always in my life only been semi-competent at what I do because I always try to like learn something really hard. And, um, and, and I think that that like striving towards to do, to do hard things is something that's really useful. The other thing that I want everyone to know is that science is also a career. No, it's something that we do because we're excited about it, but it's also something that ultimately pays people's bills, like my bills. And, uh, and a lot of people I found out don't know that say, while you do a PhD thesis, that people actually get paid. And, uh, and so you can say, if you want to become a scientist, it means that you need to make it through an undergraduate degree. But afterwards, you can be a paid scientist spending their life asking the questions that you find like really exciting. And uh, that is why I'm really happy to be a scientist. I really love your passion. Thank you so much. You're so inspiring. Um, I hope to be in the field of neuroscience hopefully someday. So I really and, love um, your talk. Thank you so much for your time. And, and if you will be, uh, I, chances are very good. We will eventually meet one another in real person at the conference. Hopefully. So I very much look forward to that. Me too. I hope to meet you um, in person one day. Um, Wonderful. So best, best of luck. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Have a good day.